We still have some available. Uh, this is starting a brand new sermon series called October the 13th called Difficult People. Turn to somebody and say, you're not difficult. You're not difficult. And if you think you're not difficult, then I want to challenge you to come on October the 13th and we'll see just how difficult you are. So, uh, but in this series, we're asking you to do a couple things. Number one, you've got three tabs right here that you can tear off and give out to someone to invite someone to come in and be a part of what God is doing here. We're going to have an amazing time. And at the top of that card, this says, I'm inviting and praying for. So who are the people you're inviting? Who are you praying for? We don't need this top half back. I want you to keep that. I want you to put it on your refrigerator, put it on your mirror, wherever. Put it somewhere where you can constantly pray for the people that you have invited. Now, if you have not invited anyone, you still have a couple weeks to do that. So let me encourage you to go out and do that. I have got a special treat for you guys on October the 13th. Not only are we having a baptismal service around here. Come on, guys. Give it up for those being baptized. We're going to have a baptismal service here, but... I have already got in writing 14 people that's coming into this place that I've invited. How many have you invited? I say all that to say that I have got the Triple S High School drum line that's going to be here on October the 13th. They're going to be in the parking lot playing for you guys as you walk in. And then we've got a special treat for you during the service that involves those guys. So I want to encourage you to do everything you can to go out and invite somebody. Encourage them. Bring them here. I don't care if you have to tie them up, put them in your trunk. Our parking lot guys will get them out. We'll give them some water. Just bring them into God's house, and let's see what God can do. Amen? Also, I wanted to just give a big shout-out to all of you guys for helping us out with our spaghetti cook. It's an annual thing. Do it once a year. And uh, Miss Lisa Whaley and her team, man, give those guys a huge, huge hand. I am happy to announce to you guys that as of right now, and there may be some more to come in, but as of right now, between you guys selling plates and we had deliveries going out everywhere, you've taken up over $1,500 worth of income that goes all to our student ministry. So guys, thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. What a blessing you are. Thank you for that so much. Are you guys ready to get into a word today? All right, let's go ahead and get into the word today. We're continuing in our series called Investing in Forever. Investing in Forever. We're going to bring this series to an end next Sunday. And so I want you to be here. I'm going to be here. My family's going to be here. We're all going to be here. So come next Sunday. But let's go ahead and dive into the word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. This has kind of been our theme verse, if you will, throughout this series. And this is the Apostle Paul. And he says this, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So you get what the Apostle Paul is saying here, right? He's saying, hey, don't get so consumed with things that you can touch, taste, feel, and see. Don't get so consumed with that 
Because within 50 or 60 years from now, let's just be honest, everything that we have, all of our stuff, our possessions, 50, 60 years from now, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be gone. It's not going to be any good anymore. And so the Apostle Paul says, as you're living your life, as you're going through your day-to-day activities, don't get so consumed with the here and now. Don't fix your eyes on things that are temporary, but rather fix your eyes on things that are eternal, something that has eternal value. And so we've kind of had this key quote that we've been showing you guys throughout this series, a key quote that basically says this, everybody ends up somewhere, very few end up somewhere on purpose. Come on, how many of you know that's a lot of truth in that statement? We're all going to end up somewhere But very few people in this life end up somewhere on purpose. And so during this series, we've been asking ourselves some questions. What decisions do I need to make now that will define my forever life? So that's kind of what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. So I want to start off today with a little survey. I want everybody to participate in this. How many of you in here would say that you are a risk taker? Come on, let me see your hands. Risk taker. Go all in, step out, parachute jump, risk taker, okay? How many of you in here would say, I am more of a security seeker? I I like my comfort zone. I don't like to stretch. I like the way things are, okay? Now, let me ask you this. If you're married in here today, how many of you are married to your opposite? Is anybody? Come on, there you go. There you go. How crazy is that? The, the thing about it is, a lot of people today are risk takers, but then I think there's more people that would be more of a security seeker. So i got a couple of pictures I want to show you. The first picture is this. Over 150,000 people a year risk their lives in the Colorado Rapids. Come on, how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting before? How fun is that? That is fun. Well, this is the Colorado Whitewater Rapids. Over 150,000 people a year do this. Several people die every year. Several people die every year doing this. So how many would say they're pretty much a risk taker for doing that? All right, let's look at the second picture. The second picture is this right here. Okay, now this picture, this is a guy that is walking on a beam that is over 30 stories tall. And he's blindfolded while he's doing it. This is a prime reason, ladies, why you live longer than we do. Right here. This guy is a major risk taker. So let's just be honest today, guys. I think a lot of us love the idea of taking risk. We would just rather watch someone else do it. There's a reason why we go to the circus and we like the trapeze artists and they're flipping and jumping and all of that and there's not a net below them and and we're thinking, oh, that's great. That's awesome. He's so crazy. Do it again. We love risk taking. I think oftentimes we would just rather stay in our comfort zone. You just want to watch someone else do it. but, But here's what you need to understand as it relates to the teachings of Jesus Christ. The truth is there is no way that you can read the Gospels without realizing that God has called us to live a life that stretches us out of our comfort zone. He calls us to live a life of faith. He calls us to live a life of taking risk, to step out, to do things that are beyond our comfort zone. He calls us to do that. And there's a prime example of this in Mark chapter, oh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. 
Jesus says to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Now, let me ask you something. Does this sound like a safe comfortable, secure life that Christ is asking you to to carry on with? No. He wants you to step out. He wants you to risk. He wants you to trust. He wants you to believe in faith. Following Jesus requires you to stretch. And so if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about our eternal life. We've been talking about this rope. You guys remember the rope represents what? Our eternity The tape represents our time here on earth. And the problem is we get so consumed and so focused on this 70, 80, 90, even 100 years worth of life when there's millions of years that we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And so it goes back to what the Apostle Paul was saying. Don't get so consumed with things that are happening right now. Nothing wrong with living your life. Nothing wrong with enjoying life. Some of you guys are going to the hurricane hockey game today. Come on, where are you at? Holler at me. You're not excited to go to the game? but So anyway, some of these guys are going to the hockey game. Nothing wrong with doing anything. Nothing wrong with enjoying your life. But here's what I want you to understand. There's going to come a moment in time where you and I are going to reach the end of our tape. We reach the end of our life, and we have to stand before God during that time. And when we stand before God at the end of our life, everything we've done in our lives now is going to bring either reward or regret there. You realize there are no second chances when you're standing before God. Your life has already been defined by the decisions that you've made here. And so what we're saying is, hey, invest in eternity. Live your life, not just for the moment. Don't be consumed with everything here, but make decisions now that can invest in eternity. And so we've been talking about this for the past three weeks now. And so we're just asking you to invest in eternity. Make those decisions that can prepare you for the moment where you stand before God. I guarantee you, you're not going to stand before God and say, I am so thankful I watched 20,000 hours of soap operas while I was on the earth. I mean, you know, you're not going to say that. And so again, what are you doing now with your life that you're going to stand before God and say, God, that's, that's going to bring me reward right there. Because at the end of the day, I want to hear God say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So what I want to do today, real quick, is I want to look at one of Jesus' parables that really kind of brings to light the idea of being a risk taker or a security seeker. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15. And again, out of this scripture, I want to bring three lessons for you today. It says this, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave one guy five bags of silver. Another guy gave two bags of silver. Another one, he gave one bag of silver. And he divided it in proportion to their abilities. Let me say that again. He divided it in proportion to their abilities. And then he leaves and goes on his trip. So again, a very simple story here. In this story, you've got four main characters. You've got the rich guy who was leaving his assets to three servants, and then he's going away on the trip. 
You've got one servant that has one, oh, excuse me, five bags of silver. Another servant has two bags of silver. And another servant has one bag of silver. Now, some translations say talent. And I've heard preachers preach this a lot before to say, you know, God gives different talents and different abilities. And yes, he does that. But I want you to understand that this word talent here in the Greek is talking about a sum of money. It's talking about resources. And so the bottom line of our story is that the master entrusted his money to his servants and he expected a return on that money. And so what I want to do today, again, I want to give you some life lessons as it relates to this scripture. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Lesson number one, five bags of silver is people getting blessed for being risk takers. This guy who was a five bag of silver guy, he got blessed for being a risk taker. Again, let's look at this in Matthew 25, 16 through 20. The servant who received five bags of silver, he began to invest the money and he earned five more. After a long time, the master returned from his trip, called them to give an account of how they used his money. Master, you gave me five bags to invest. I've got you five more. So this five bag guy, he doubled the master's money. And I actually kind of like this particular guy here because a lot of times when you look at very wealthy people in our society, there's always kind of a negative stigma attached. They're the miser. They're the villain. That's the evil landlord. But this five bag guy, he was actually commended for what he did. And some of you may be asking, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, the simple part of that is that I believe that there may be some in here today and you're a five bagger. You're a five bag person compared to the average person. You've done well. You've worked hard. You've made smart choices. You've got a good education. You've, you, you've sold business opportunities. You've taken a risk. And just like the master in the story, God has considered you and entrusted you with abilities. He has entrusted you with resources. He has entrusted you with talent, resources, abilities, all of that. He entrusts you with that. And frankly, he expects a return from it. He expects a return. How many of you know that God has blessed you today? Come on, turn to somebody and say, God has blessed you. Listen, never, never, ever let anyone make you feel guilty about the blessings that God has put upon your life. He has blessed you. But listen, here's what I also know. This particular guy, God did not bless this guy. God did not bless you and I with all of the resources, all of the energy, all of the knowledge and the ability to consume it on ourselves. He invested in us and gave to us so that we could invest in forever. The fact is, the scripture says that the better you handle what you have, the more God will bless you with even more. Well, how do I know that? Let's look at verse 21. The master was full of praise. What did he say to this guy? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Hey, let's celebrate together. So again, if you're a five bagger, you remember that in this story, this particular guy here, he did not see the blessing of God as something to be consumed Something to be all about himself. He saw the blessings of God as something that could be invested, an opportunity to invest it and make his master happy. And of course, there's a lot of biblical examples of this. One of them is found in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 36. There's a guy named Joseph. He was a Levite born in Cyprus. 
The apostles called him Barnabas, which means one who encourages. And what did Joseph do? It says that he owned a field. He went out and sold that field, bought the money back, and gave it to all the apostles. So here is a guy who owns a plot of land. He sells that land, and yet he knows, hey, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people in my community that that are homeless. They need food. They need shelter. And so he sells this land, takes all of those resources, and gives it to the apostles to distribute to the people that have need. And as a result, this guy was really had a legacy attached to his life because he was called Barnabas. Barnabas means the encourager. Again, there's a lot of modern examples of this as well. I was reading about the guy that uh, founded Hobby Lobby. Come on, how many of you ladies in the, lo- in the house like Hobby Lobby? Yes. Come on, I got some of them talking about, yeah. Nothing wrong with Hobby Lobby, but what you may not know, know is David Green, who is the founder of Hobby Lobby, has given millions upon millions upon millions to charities to Christian organizations. He stroked a check one time recently for $70 million to the Oral Roberts University. So again, certain people have the ability to do that. And they can do amazing things if they love the Lord enough to trust Him with the blessings that He has put on their life. I keep telling God all the time, Lord, if you just give me $10 million... Man, I'll give seven million of it back. Lord, you know my heart. You know I would. But then there's a very humbling verse in that scripture. The master gave to each according to their ability. They're probably the reason why I'm not a millionaire is because God knows I can't handle it. Some of you are going up there buying your little scratch off all the time. The reason why you're not winning is because God knows you can't handle it. So let me give you a lottery quote. Give it to God's house and he'll give it back to you. Just go in there. That's my commercial for today in Jesus' name. We'll edit that later. But anyway, anyway, there's a reason why we have what we have is because God knows our ability. I love the scripture in Proverbs, the Proverbs where it says, uh, the, the, the guy's talking and he says, God, don't make me too rich. Because if you make me too rich, I may forget about you. Don't make me too poor. Because if you make me too poor, I may do something to bring dishonor or shame to your name and to your house. So God, give me enough. And so that's really the heart of all of this is God, hey, give me enough. Let me be faithful with what you've given to me. So again, point number one, the five bag of silver guys, they get blessed for being risk takers. Let's look at point number two. Point number two is really just like that. The two bags of gold or silver people, they get blessed for being risk takers as well. Matthew chapter 25, verse 17. The servant with two bags of silver, he also went and worked and earned two more. Now, the truth is, I can kind of identify more with the two-bag guy. And I think that a lot of us in here, if you were to look at your life, you would probably line up more with the two-bag guy. You, if you look at your life and look at where you are, you wouldn't consider yourself to be rich. I mean, you don't have millions of dollars stored up, and you're probably not going to write a check for $70 million. If you could do that, why haven't you done it yet? In Jesus' name. But anyway, most people can't do that. But again, when you look at your life, you're able, to t- you're able to pay your bills. You're able to go out to eat. You're able to take a vacation every once in a while. So you're a two-bag person. 
But here's two temptations that I think you have to be careful of when you fall in that line. The first temptation is, number one, don't allow yourself to resent the five-baggers. Don't resent people who are doing better than you. Have you noticed that a lot of the times in life, we want to look around and compare ourselves with people? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So again, don't be one of those people who is always looking around and measuring yourself by what everybody else has or don't have. Because when you start doing that, you're going to start finding out that there are a lot of people doing a lot better than you are. And when you see that, it leads to discouragement in your heart, discouragement in your life. And you're like, well, the pastor went on a cruise. I can't go on a cruise. I want to go on a cruise. What you don't know is I've been saving for two years for this. So whatever. So anyway, you, you, you plan. Come on. Are you with me? You plan for these kind of things. I knew she was graduating. I knew it was coming. And so we started saving for this thing literally, guys, two years ago. And so I knew that that was going to happen. And so again, be careful how you look at people in life and try to compare yourself to them. Because when you start doing that, then the next thing you know, you start buying stuff with money you don't have, trying to impress people you don't know or even like. And you're doing all of that. And next thing you know, you're discouraged on the inside. So again, you have to be careful for that. Don't compare yourself. Can't we just look at our life and say, God, you've blessed me and I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful for what I have. You guys remember I talked about last week about being content, you know, looking at your stuff, looking at your life and thinking, you know, it could be worse. And I said, hey, if you've got an iPhone or a phone that works and it makes calls and all of that, why would you want to go spend three or $4,000 on an iPhone 20? And I had one guy to text me at the service. He was like, man, please don't say that because I had in my mind to go buy one and my wife won't let me now. So I'm sorry for that, brother. Forgive me. But be content with what God has given to you. Again, when you start comparing, it can lead to discouragement. But then here's the second temptation. Don't look down on the one-baggers either. Because here's what happens when you start comparing and you start thinking that just because you think that you've got more stuff than someone else, and that means you're better than them, you understand that you get pride in your heart. And pride goes before the fall. So you got to be careful with that. Just because you've got a a few more things in, in this part of your life right here doesn't mean you're better than anyone because how many of you know you could lose everything you've got in 24 hours? So be thankful with what God has given you. Don't be comparing yourself Thinking, well, if I don't have what they have, I'm nothing. And I've got more than they have, so I'm someone. No. If, listen, if you catch yourself comparing and falling into these temptations, I want you to remember a couple of things. Number one, Jesus didn't own anything but a robe and sandals. That's all he owned. The Bible says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So again, Jesus didn't own anything but a robe and sandals. But then here's the second thing. The master made no difference between the five and two bagger. His exact words for both of these guys were, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 
So that says to me that these two baggers, they have the same responsibility to make the most of what God has entrusted with them to be a channel, to be a conduit so that God can work in you and through you. God gives you the ability. God gives you your personality. God gives you the, the, the talents that he has. He's given you the resources so you could be a channel. The problem is a lot of times we want to start to, to, to dam up the conduit so that the water can't flow freely. So now it starts backing up because we want to hoard it all for ourselves. And how many of you know what happens to water when it doesn't move? It becomes stagnant and things start dying. Things start kind of going by the wayside, get a little smell to it. So as long as you are a channel, a conduit, God will go in you and through you and pull out the blessings on your life. So again, you got to notice these things and find out where you are. And again, that says to me that the two-bagger, the five-bagger, regardless of who you are, you have to realize that God has blessed you and entrusted you for potential blessings in your life. The only difference between the five and the two is that the two are not writing million-dollar checks. That's the only difference. But when you stop to think about it as a two-bagger, if you stop to think about it, it's pretty amazing what that person can do. I did a little research, did a little math this past week and found out that the average income in Johnston County is 50000 a year. That's the average. Doesn't matter if you make more or less than that. The average income in Johnston County is 50000 a year. If you work 40 years, that's $2 million you have made in your lifetime. So again, doesn't matter whether you make more or less. The question you have to ask yourself is how much do I invest in forever versus how much am I consuming now? And so with that, I want to give you a foundational truth real quick today in Malachi chapter 3. Verses 8 through 10. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Should a person rob God, but you are robbing me? You ask, how have we robbed you? You've robbed me in your offerings and the tenth of your crops. So a curse is on you because the whole nation has robbed me. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord All-Powerful. Test me in this, says the Lord all power. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pull out all the blessings you need. So let me give you a little perspective on this scripture right here. If you went to the bank and deposited some money in the bank, is that money yours or is it the banker's? It's your money. It's your money. You're just giving it to the banker to invest it and to watch over it. But if you noticed that your bank account was dwindling and your banker was going on a cruise and he was spending all of your money, how many of you know you would buy a ticket to find that joker wherever he was and deal with him? What about this? Suppose your banker called you up one day and said, hey, I need you to stop spending money. I need you to stop writing checks because all that money is mine. It's not yours. How many of you would be pretty upset about that? But on the other hand, if your banker managed the money well, you would deposit more. Why? Because you can trust him to manage it well. And so again, this is true. Five, two, or one bagger, it doesn't really matter. God says whatever level you're on, that's, that doesn't matter. Whatever level you're, level you're on, it's all mine. God says you get to borrow it. So while you're here, God says you can borrow it. 
I'm giving you all this, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, you're borrowing the resources that I'm giving to you, and then when you leave here, someone else will get it, and then they'll borrow it too. But the point is, it's all God's. Every bit of it's God's. And so God is saying, hey, it's all mine, but I don't want 100%. I'm only asking for 10% as a demonstration that you have your eyes fixed and you're trusting in me. So I told you last week, one of the reasons why I love an offering fit for a king is because it gives my wife and I an opportunity to come together and our family to come together and just begin to pray about God. What do you want us to give? Again, the tithe is the foundation. That's where you start with. For us, that's just automatic. It happens. And so next Sunday, turn to somebody and say next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm asking you guys to bring in your envelopes. If you don't have one, there's still some available for you out there in the foyer. Grab one on your way out. Bring that in. And on October the 6th, next Sunday, I'm asking you, if you're not already, to bring an accurate tithe to God. And just say, God, I'm going to test you on this. Because this is the only time in Scripture where God says, test me. And that's the foundation. Beyond that, the Bible talks about different ways to give. Fellowship offering, wave offerings. We give to missions. We give to kids and students. Different offerings. But again, that's beyond the tithe as the Holy Spirit nudges you to do so. A great example of this is found in the Macedonian church in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then jump to verse 4. It says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely of their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So you understand, they didn't give just because the Apostle Paul was a persuasive speaker. They gave because they had their eyes fixed on forever. They looked beyond their comfort zone and they invested. And so frankly, what, I want you to hear my heart right now. If you think that next Sunday is all about getting your money, then please, man, put your wallet away. Because that's not what it's about. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul commended the Macedonians, but then watch what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 9-7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And again, what that says to me is I'm not really sure it counts in eternity if you give because some clever speaker told you to. And guys, listen, I know. I have got four kids at home. We will grocery shop on Saturday and ramen noodles come into play around Wednesday because the groceries run out and all the parents of teenagers said, Amen. I feel your pain. So I understand how hard it is to look at your income and stroke a check for 10% right off the top. I get that. I understand that. I realize that the math doesn't always work, but God never fails. David said in Psalm 37, 25, I once was young, but now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. And again, I know this is scary, but Jesus says clearly in this parable that risk-taking, faith-giving, whether it's the five or the two, ends in a blessing. At the end of the day, when I'm at the end of my tape and I'm standing before God, I want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and faithful dad, or good and faithful husband, or good and faithful pastor. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. So again, when you look at this 
parable here, whether it's the five bag or the two bag, they were able to hear those words from God. Why? Because they were willing to invest in forever. But then here's the third lesson I want to give you, and I'm done. Number three, security seekers later regret their choices not to play it safe. Security seekers later regret their choices to play it safe. Matthew 25, 24 and 25 says this. The servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, man, I knew you to be a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant. Gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. And I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Here is your money back. Now, if there's one thing that this one bad guy did right, he acknowledged it was the master's money. Everything else he did was totally wrong. But the one thing he did right was to acknowledge that it was all God's. He didn't lose any of the master's money. He just didn't invest it. He opted out for security. He opted out to play it safe. And what was the master's reply? Let's look at verse 26 and 28. The master replied, what? You wicked and lazy servant. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Again, some of you may be in here today and you may be saying, Pastor, man, that's me. I'm, I'm the one bag person. I'm struggling to make ends meet. My money runs out before the month runs out. There's no way God expects me to give. And listen, if that's what you're thinking, you're missing the point here, guys. It's not about the giving. It's about you getting the principle in your heart that you're fixing your eyes on forever and that you're investing with what God has given to you on forever. How many of you know that when people jump out of an airplane, they trust the parachute's going to open? And so you've got to get to the point in your life where you trust God's word. And the incredible truth about God is that the blessings will come no matter what level you're on if you trust God with the resources. You know, I love the story in the Bible that talks about this little boy that brings his lunch to Jesus. You know, he brings five loaves and two fish. And as a result, what happened? 5,000 people get fed. And this little boy who has five loaves and two fish, he walks home with 12 basketful. And so again, if you're sitting here thinking, man, I can't even make ends meet like now. I can't give. Here's my challenge to you. Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. You know, in the 1800s, there was a, a pastor in Philadelphia, a guy by the name of Russell Conwell, Russell Conwell, and he pastored a Baptist church in Philadelphia, and he had this little girl in his congregation. Her name was Hattie Mae Wyatt, Hattie Mae Wyatt. Now, this is in the 1800s. Hattie Mae's family was in severe poverty, but she lived right beside the church, and so she would come to that church every Sunday, and she'd go to Sunday school and she walked in one day, and the Sunday school was just packed. There was, wasn't any room for anybody. And so at the end of the service, little Hattie Mae walks up and says, Pastor, um, we need to build a bigger building. And so the pastor looked at her and said, Hattie Mae, I'm believing that God is going to bless us, and we're going to have buildings big enough to where anybody and everybody can come and hear the gospel. And not only that, but they can be educated and know God's word. Well, sometime later, little Hattie Mae got really sick and she died. 
Her mother come to the pastor and said, Pastor Conwell, we, we would love for you to do the service. And he said, okay. She said, well, I've got a little bag here that Hattie Mae wanted me to give to you. She's been saving for a building. There's 57 cents in this bag. Now, get, keep in mind, this is 1886. This is a little girl whose family was poverty-stricken. And she had saved up 50 seven cents. The pastor took that 57 cents and stood before the congregation and told her story. He turned it into 57 pennies. He stood up and sold 57 pennies for $250. $250 is what that 57 cent brought. He then took the $250 and bought a house just up the road from where the church was. That house became the place that would now become Temple University College. That 57 cents was turned into $250, which bought the first house where students began to come in and learn about the gospel, learn about Jesus Christ. They would then outgrow that house in that plot of land. They sold that and they would continue to build and buy until they built the Good Samaritan Hospital. A hospital where people could come in. Didn't matter what resources you had. But they could come in and receive the care they needed. And so now you've got Temple University, Temple Hospital. And it all started with 57 cents. Don't ever look at God and look at your life and say, I have nothing to invest. Because you do. 57 cents started a college started a hospital that changed the world and changed lives. So it doesn't matter what level you're on, guys. doesn't matter if you're the five, the two, or the one. None of that matters. All that matters is that you are looking at your life and saying, God, I'm going to invest in forever. I'm going to be faithful with what you've given to me. And God, you know what? Hey, I can do something. I mean, think about Hattie Mae. Where did she get the money? I have no idea. But in 1886, come on. How many of you guys remember the days when Grandmama used to give you a quarter? And you'd go to the store up the street, and you'd buy you a Coca-Cola bottle and a pack of nabs, and get some change back. Come on, does anybody remember those days? Yeah, that's why y'all old. I'm just playing. <laughs> I remember them too. <laughs> I remember them too. 57 cents. Build a whole university. 57 cents. One girl had a dream. And said, I'm going to invest. And she never saw it come to pass. She never saw it. But it didn't matter. Because her name, all you got to do is Google 57 cents Hattie Mae Wyatt. It's all over the internet. Still today. And this took place in 1886. She invested in forever. Next Sunday, we have an opportunity to invest in forever. It's not the amount. It's not the size. 
It's just simply, are you being faithful with what God has given to you? Stand with me all over that.